Okay, let's go ahead and open our Bibles, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. We've been looking at this section of Scripture, or this verse of Scripture, for a few weeks now. I want to continue to look at it here this morning. Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you, God, for this wonderful day of life that you've blessed us with, Lord. For those that are perhaps visiting for the first time, we pray, Lord God, that they would feel and experience your spirit and your love, most importantly, Lord God, and that we, as the body of Christ, can maybe share some of that love and help them experience some of that love personally, Lord. And Father, for anyone that's here physically or anyone that is watching, Lord God, online, we pray, Lord God, if they do not know you as Lord and Savior, if they're not on their way to heaven, if they're lost and blind and, and naive and deaf to you, that you, Lord God, would make them come alive, Lord God, that they would be born again, that you would save their souls, Lord God. Bring salvation to those that need it. And Lord God, we pray for those who are Christians, those who are born again, those who are children of God, if they're discouraged in any way, that they would be encouraged and healed and ministered to here this morning. Help me as your servant to communicate your word, effectively organize my thoughts, my words. Lord God, we need your anointing, your Holy Spirit, to fill each and every one of us, all those that are watching right now. Help us, Lord God, by anointing us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Very good. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, again, we've been looking at this section of Scripture for a few weeks now. Last week, we had the privilege of having a guest speaker for Teen Challenge, and uh, I thought she gave a, an awesome, awesome word last Sunday. I thought it was a blessed service. But we've been looking at this, and we see that there are three things that God tells us about His plans for us. Plan number one, He has plans or thoughts of peace and not of evil. Number two, he has plans to give us a future. And number three, he has plans to give us hope. And a few weeks ago, we learned that God desires peace and not evil for us. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. God desires peace for us and not evil. And that's important because the enemy wants to deceive us and make us think that, man, God is after us. If one single mistake and he's after us. But that's not what God wants. He wants peace. Even in the midst of our failure, even in the midst of our rebellion or sin, he still desires peace and not evil. And again, I believe that we can all agree that the world today is seeking after peace, especially with everything that is going on in the world today. Everything is so unstable and unpredictable right now. Things are starting to look a little bit better. Praise God for that. Things are starting to stabilize. Thank God for that. Hopefully they pass this, this economic uh, package and we get some extra money. Praise God for that. But people are stressed. People are anxious. People are insecure. People are scared. They are longing for peace. And yet God tells us that his desire is to give us peace. And he tells us how to have peace. Isaiah chapter 26 verses 3 and 4 says this. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting 
strength. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, will sur- which, that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and the prince of peace jesus christ is the prince of peace if you connect to jesus you will have peace in and through christ we have peace with god because of christ's sacrifice of his body and blood on the cross which we're going to celebrate in just a little bit through our communion service and we have inner peace knowing that god is with us and will never leave us nor forsake us through the blood of jesus we are forgiven we are cleansed we are made righteous we are the king we are king's children and we're on our way to heaven and i don't know about you but that by itself gives me peace praise god for that the second thing that god mentions here about his plans for us is that he desires to give us a future god has a good future planned for those of us who belong to him matthew chapter 6 verses 31 through 33 says this therefore do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for after all these things the gentiles seek For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The Bible tells us clearly that God knows that one of our main concerns is future stability. Now, we need to thank God daily for what we have today. We need to thank God when we wake up in the morning that we woke up. Can you say amen? Before you eat your next meal, you need to thank God that he provided food for you. When you drink that water or that soda or that drink, whatever it is, thank God that he gave you something to drink and to nourish your body. For your clothing, we need to thank him daily for what he does for us on a daily basis. But he also knows that we are concerned about our future. That's why we have life insurance. That's why we have retirement plans and pack- retirement packages. That's why we, uh, those that are getting older, we look forward to Medicare and Social Security because we, we want somebody, hopefully, that will take care of us or help us out. But who better to help us out and to take care of us than God himself? Can you say amen, church? And God knows that. He says, hey, he, so he makes us this promise. He says, don't worry about your future. I got your future covered. I know that you need to eat. I know that you need to drink. I know that you need something to wear, not just today, but tomorrow and 10 years from now or however long you're going to be on this earth. I know that you need these things today and in your future. I know that you need shelter and safety and resources to live. I know that you need all these things today and in the future. But God, and God says, I've been taking care of this world for over five thousand years feeding people making sure people have water making sure people have clothing taking care of you is no problem for the lord and god asked this all he asked is this put him first make god the priority seek 
him first and he will secure our future. I said it before, if you and I are in Christ, we don't need a fortune teller to know our future. We don't have to go to a psychic to know our future. We don't have to go to a palm reader to know our future. We don't have to go look at the alignment of the stars to know our future. We don't have to look at our horoscopes to know our future. All we have to do is seek God, in the morning when you wake up, get on your knees, humble yourself before the Lord, spend some time with Jesus, put him first. Start every day by putting the Lord first. Whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour, you have to work it out between you and God. Just put him first. And when the day is over, before you hit that pillow, before you go to bed, get on your knees again and say, thank you, Jesus, that you helped me to make it through this day. I didn't get into a car accident. And if I did, I'm still alive. Praise God. I didn't get sick. And if I am, I'm still breathing. Praise God. And so I thank you, God. If we just do that, church, we're going to be okay. We don't have to stress. God's got our back, and we will have peace. Can you say amen? And we as Christians know our ultimate and final future, which should give us the ultimate type of peace. Our ultimate and final future is heaven and eternity with Christ. Let me just read this again in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. This is our ultimate final destination, to be with the Lord. Verse 1, Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water, of the water of life, freely to him who thirsts. Hey, that's good news, church. That's our future right there for all eternity. In spite of all the madness of this life, that's our ultimate future. Praise God. Now, let's look at the third thing that God tells us concerning his plans for us. Let's go back to our text found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, and read what it says here. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So the Bible tells us here that God desires not he does our, he desires peace and not evil for us god desires to give us a future and thirdly god desires to give us hope hope what is the definition of hope number 1 favorable and confident expectation i think that we would all agree that looking forward to heaven is a favorable and confident expectation can you say amen church Number two, a happy anticipation of good. Number three, the fulfillment of a promise. That's the definition of 
hope. Now, this word hope is very important, and it's found throughout the Bible in many, many situations and, 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 uh, and scriptures. Hope is one of the big three found in the love chapter of the Bible. What's the love chapter? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me read that in the New Living Translation. It says this, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Verse 13 mentions the big three here, okay? Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So we see that hope is included in the love chapter. It's also included in the faith chapter. What is a faith chapter? Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that's all I'm going to read. It says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Things, the substance of things hoped for. So this word hope for the Christian is very, very important. And God tells us how we need to establish hope in our lives. And for that, I want to go to Psalm chapter 33, verses 16 through 22. Psalm chapter 33, verses 16 through 22. And listen to what it says here. It says this, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Let me look at that really quick. A horse is a vain hope. Vain hope means false hope, fake hope, deceptive hope, empty hope, counterfeit hope. I want us to remember that thought because I'm going to mention that or go back to that at the end of the message. But vain hope. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. 
Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. How many of you today are hoping in God's mercy for your life here this morning? It says this, verse 19. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Church, who are we supposed to put our hope in? We're supposed to put our hope in God. Can you say amen, church? Anything else and everything else is vain hope. But when you put your hope in God, God says that's where you will be able to experience victory in your life. Okay? Now, right now, in your life, what are you hoping for? Right now, if I were to ask you that question personally, what are you hoping for? Right now, at this moment, as you're sitting down here at this church, right now, at this moment, as you are watching online, regardless of what you may be going through or what's happening in your life, what is it that you are hoping for or longing for or believing for? Is your marriage in trouble? God tells us here that there is hope. Are your kids in trouble? God tells us here that there is hope. Are you sick in your body? God tells us here that there is hope. Are you discouraged, depressed, disappointed, or lonely? God tells us here that there is hope. But we need to put our hope in God. Are your family members still unsaved? Put your hope in God. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Put your hope in God. Maybe you have failed as a father or a mother or a daughter or a son or a brother or a sister. Then put your hope in God. Are you addicted? Are you in bondage? Are you in darkness? Are you suicidal? If you have God in your life, then there is hope. Hope in God. Cry out to God. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm all messed up. I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. I need your help. Put your hope in the Lord. Everything else is vain hope. Whether you're hoping for something minor or simple or hoping for something that requires a supernatural or a miracle, put your hope in God. As long and as long as you look to God, there will always be hope. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're breathing, no matter what situation you're in, if you have God in your life, put, yourself, put your hope in the Lord. Now, right off the bat, to get to the main point, what is the ultimate hope of every Christian? That's right, Darlene. That's right, to go to heaven. What is the thing that we as the people of God are hoping for? What is the thing that we are looking forward to? Darlene said to go to heaven. What else are we as Christians waiting for, looking for, seeking after, desiring to see one day? Who can tell me? Who can give me a shout? Yes, Lynn. The return of Jesus. That's right, Lynn. Amen. That's what we are all looking forward to. The Bible calls this our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. Listen to what it says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says this in the New King. I'll read it in the New King James. Then I want to read it in the New Living Translation. It says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation 
has appeared to all men. In other words, this salvation church is offered to everyone. Okay? Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So no matter what the culture is dictating right now about how to live your life, how liberal to live your life, how, how, how sinful to live your life, listen, God says, don't get caught up in all that madness. Keep your eyes focused on the hope that is set before you, the return of Jesus Christ. You have a responsibility as the children of God, as a church of God, to keep yourself in line with the laws of God and the way we need to live before him. And it says here, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Keep your hope in the Lord. Keep focused on the Lord. Keep living your life for the Lord. In the end, it'll all come through and it'll all be worth it, church. Let me read that again in the New Living Translation. It says this, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. I know that today in 2021, this is not a popular message in the church because the people in the church, especially the young people, the young adults, they want to go out there and be Christians and still party and still smoke and still drink and still have sex and still live like the world. It doesn't work that way. You're being deceived. We have a responsibility to live our lives in, a, in righteousness and in, uh, in a way that will honor our God. Can you say amen, church? It's a, let me read it again. We should live. Let me re- start at verse 12. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day. When the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us and to make us his very own people. Totally committed to doing good deeds. This is the blessed hope. This is the ultimate hope. One day we are all going to see Jesus appear in the sky and he is going to give a shout. If you think I'm shouting loud right now, this is nothing compared to the shout that Jesus Christ is going to give us when he comes back for us. Let me read to you what it tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. And again, I'm going to be reading this, I believe, in the New Living Translation, okay? It says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven 
with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Then we will be with the Lord forever. What is our ultimate hope? Then we will be with the Lord forever. And then it says, so encourage each other with these words because this is our blessed hope. This is what we're all hoping for. This is what we're all looking forward to. In spite of whatever else is going on in your life and in my life and in this world, this is what we look forward to. Can you say amen, church? What is our blessed hope? What event are we as Christian people all waiting for? The return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We... uh, We call this the rapture or the taking up of the church. The Bible tells us that one day Jesus Christ is going to physically return to earth. It's not going to be some ghost or some spirit or some invisible form. No, no, no. Or some cloud. No, no. Jesus Christ physically and personally is going to come down from heaven and he's going to shout. He's going to give a great shout. The Bible tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are left alive will be caught up in the air with them. And we will finally be complete. A brand new body that will never get sick or hungry or tempted or feel pain or sin or have to go through any more drama. We will be with Jesus Christ forever in heaven. This is our blessed hope. This is our ultimate hope. This adventure here on earth is going to be done and over with. All we have to do is remain faithful to that day, church. And what is so cool about this is that the Bible tells us that whatever suffering or trials or tribulations or heartaches or heartbreaks or disappointments and losses or sorrows we may have to face in this life, it will not compare to the glory that will be revealed in and through us when we get to heaven. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Listen, even though we have this blessed hope, we still have to live on this earth and we still have to deal with all kinds of drama and injustice and temptation and sin and battles on this earth and go through all kinds of madness. But God says, regardless of what you have to go through for the sake of Christ, it will not even come close to comparing to the glory that will be revealed in and through you when we get to heaven, church. You're going to say, man, it was worth it. I know, man, what I went through was horrible and terrible and embarrassing and humiliating and sick and terrible and da-da-da-da-da. But, man, now that I'm in heaven, it was worth it. It was all worth it. Praise God. But I would like for us to take this a little further and deeper. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and I want to read it again. And I want to focus on verse 13 and verse 18. Okay? Let me read it again, and we're going to focus on verse 13 and 18. It says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. That's verse 13. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18. So encourage each other with these words. I want to look at verse 18 first. It says this. So encourage each other with these words. In the New King James Version, it says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, before I get into this, I need to explain something that confuses a lot of people. I want to do this as best as I can and as quickly as I can. Because this section of scripture causes a lot of people to get confused. Most of you that have been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you pretty much know about the details of what, what I'm going to explain to you. But for those of you that are watching and maybe something is not flowing right, I want to try to explain something. Now, I'm going to use our brother Ralph Perez as an example. He passed away yesterday of a heart attack. That man was a full-on Christian man. He loved Jesus. He was dedicated to Jesus. He lived his life faithfully to the end for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was married to a pastor. They were pastoring a church together. Okay, she still is, but unfortunately, he's not with her anymore, so he's not able to do that anymore. So my point is this. Strong Christian believer in Jesus Christ. You guys following me so far? Okay? And let me try to explain this to you so that hopefully it makes sense. The Bible tells us very clearly that when a Christian, a believer... A follower of Jesus dies. Their spirit, their soul, that part of them that never dies. See, this body, this physical body, it's going to die. It's getting older and it's decaying and it's, it's, it's going to die one day. But the spirit of man, the soul of man, lives forever somewhere. Okay? So the Bible tells us very clearly that eventually Ralph Perez, his body, his physical body that's now dead, is going to go into the ground, into a grave. They're going to bury him. Or they're going to cremate him. Either way, from dust we came, and to dust we shall return. That's what Genesis tells us. Okay? We're made out of dust, and now we're going to go back to the dust, our bodies. Our spirit, however, if you're a Christian, the Bible says very clearly in the Bible that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means that as when Ralph Perez had that heart attack yesterday, even though his heart gave up, and his body gave up and died, his spirit, his soul, immediately went to be with Jesus. Immediately. Right now, Ralph Perez is with Jesus in heaven. His physical body, his body, his physical body is not there with him. Okay? But his spirit, that part of him that Jesus died for, the soul, that part of him that Jesus died for on the cross, that part of us that the devil and God are fighting for, that lives forever. For a Christian who dies, believing in Jesus, their soul and their spirit that came to life when they were born again goes immediately to be with Jesus. The body goes into the grave. Sadly, sadly, the person who dies physically without Jesus, without salvation in Christ, without forgiveness of sins through Christ, sadly, the reality is, is that the the Bible teaches us that the soul of that person goes to hell. I know it's not a nice topic. It's not a nice subject. But that's what the Bible teaches. The soul of that individual goes to hell. The body also goes to the grave. 
okay, of that individual. All the bodies are going to go to the grave. All the bodies are going to go to dust. Okay, what about those people that died in Vietnam? My brother went to Vietnam. He saw some of his friends being blown up, and they were pulverized by these bombs, by these, uh, by these mines that they, would, uh, they were pulverized. What about them? It doesn't matter. What about those people that are buried at sea? Okay, this is what's going to happen. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come back. That's what we're talking about here. And when he does, the Bible says that our physical bodies that died and went into the grave, they're going to resurrect. God's going to give us brand new, resurrected bodies of flesh and bone. We're going to be resurrected from the grave in the same way that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the grave. We, too, are going to be resurrected from the grave with brand new bodies. Is everyone following me so far? Okay? And the Bible says that at that point, we will be complete. In other words, our physical body will rejoin with our soul, and we will be complete, and we will be with God forever. That's what this section of Scripture is explaining to us. All right? Now, those of us who are alive, so if Jesus were to come right now, if he came right now, first of all, he would shout, we would all look up, and we'd say, hey, it's Jesus. What's up, Jesus? And then we would all, if we're Christians and we're believers, we're going to be taken up immediately. The Bible says that instantly, instantly, our physical bodies, the way they are right now, are going to be changed. They're going to be changed instantly so that we become resurrected in the same way that those that have died were resurrected. And the Bible says we will be with the Lord forever. So that's a very brief and quick explanation to hopefully help this make a little bit more sense. What we're all looking forward to right now is the rapture or the second coming of Jesus where he comes to take the church away and our physical bodies are going to be made brand new. No more sickness, no more death, no more heartache, no more pain, no more sorrow, none of that. That's all going to be over with. We're going to be with God forever, never to die again. Now, with that understanding... Okay? It says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's why when a Christian dies, it's a celebration because it's not the end. It is not the end. There was Jesus, and one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come back, and we're going to receive brand new resurrected bodies. We're going to be with him forever, and then that's the end. Praise God. You see, when you have this blessed hope of knowing that one day you will go to heaven and be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. That is something that is encouraging. That is something that is comforting. It kind of makes all of the madness and the sadness and the unfairness that we have to go through in this life worth it because no matter what we have to go through or endure, we have hope. We have the hope and we look forward to something so much better, so much greater, so much more fantastic than what we have here in on this earth, in this life. As a matter of fact, listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says. It says, but as it is written, no ear, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Church, God is preparing for us a beautiful, magnificent, glorious, awesome place that is much greater than anything that this earth has to offer. 
Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, reserved just for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. In other words, the devil can't touch it. It is reserved for you, personally, individually, for you, by God, right now. And then it says this, and through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation. In other words, while we're here on this earth, God says, I know it's going to get hard sometimes. I know it's going to get messy sometimes. I know it's going to be painful sometimes. But don't worry, I'm with you and I'm protecting you and I'm protecting what's yours. You just stay focused and keep your hope in God. It says this in verse 5, And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation. Just hold on, church. Don't give up hope in God. Just hold on. No matter how crazy things get, just hold on. That's all God is saying. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If someone were to ask you, what is your hope as a believer? Be ready to explain it. If you had to explain your hope as a believer what would you say? If somebody at your work, if your neighbor, if, if someone that was just curious to know about you as a Christian man or a Christian woman, and they were to say to you, what, what are you doing this for? What, what is, what, why are you following Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you even care? Why do you believe in God? What would you say to them? What would be your response? God says you need to be ready to give them a response. You need to give them a reason for the hope that is in you. What You need to explain that to people. You need to be able to explain that. My hope is knowing that one day I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus Christ, my Lord, forever in heaven. I'm going to a place called heaven, a place that is so wonderful and glorious that it cannot be described or explained with human words. That is my hope. And if they say to you, dude, you are crazy. Dude, you are insane. You think that God is going to come back. He's going to give a shout and the people that are dead are going to raise up and they're going to get caught. You, you believe all that crazy stuff? Man, you are messed up in your head. But you know what? I just answered your question, bro. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm believing for. This is not my final destination. I'm on my way to heaven with Jesus. And the good news is, you can have that too. You can be crazy just like me, if you want. You could have that hope 
just like me. Now, if all your hope is in this world and what this world has to offer, then good luck, bro. But my hope is not in this world. My hope is in Jesus and in heaven and to be with him for all eternity. As good and as positive and as encouraging as all of this is, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And I want to read it again, but this time I want us to look at verse 13. Let me just focus on verse 13 for the sake of time. It says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Verse 13 talks about those who have no hope. Those who have no hope are filled with sorrow. You see, the Bible is very specific and tells us about three categories of people. Those who have hope, those who have false or vain hope, and those that have no hope. We know about those who have hope. They have hope because they are looking forward to the blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those that have hope are looking forward to spending eternity in heaven, a place that is so glorious that it goes beyond human understanding or explaining. And we read earlier in Psalm chapter 33, verse 17, about vain or false hope. And then you have those who have no hope. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let me read it again in the New Living Translation. Don't forget that you Gentiles, that means Gentiles means non-Jewish people, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So again, the Bible is very specific and clear and tells us about three categories of people. Those who have hope, those who have vain or false hope, and those who have no hope. We'll talk about those in having vain and no hope next week when we get together. And hopefully, I pray, it will fill our hearts with some compassion to reach out to those who today have vain hope and no hope. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Just like we needed Jesus when we discovered who he was. Can you say amen, church? Right now we're going to prepare for communion. Those of you watching online, I just want to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, for those of us who are Christians here today, Lord, we need to be encouraged every single day. We need to know every single day that, Lord, no matter what happens on this earth, we're on our way to heaven. And that's good news. And we need to be thankful for that.
no matter how bad things get for us who are Christians, we need to remind ourselves that our ultimate hope is in God and that we're going to be with God for all eternity. And that should encourage us and keep us moving forward no matter what we have to deal with in life. But if you're out there right now and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. If I were to die today, or if Jesus were to come, like the Bible says, he's going to come one day. I don't know if I would go to heaven or not. If that's you here this morning and you say, Jerry, I am not sure if I'm right with God. I'm not sure if I'm born again. I'm not sure if I would go up to heaven. God says, you need to know for sure that you're right with him. And I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. It's called a prayer of repentance. Repentance that leads to salvation. And if that's you here this morning, just say this prayer with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I realize that I am a sinner and that I need forgiveness and that you, Lord, are my only hope for my life. So today, I willingly open the door to my heart and I ask you, Jesus, to come in. Take over my life. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. And today, I receive the free gift of salvation. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer and you've repented of your sins, you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you are now born again. You now belong to God. You are His property, and you are under His guardianship and His protection, and He is reserving a place for you in heaven, a place that the devil or nothing of this world can touch. And I want to congratulate you, and I want to encourage you, and I want to share this good news with you. You're on your way to heaven because you're a child of God here today. Let's celebrate that today, this this morning, church. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And now we're going to go ahead and prepare for communion. Let me just read these scriptures to you here this morning. Scriptures that are very familiar to you. It's found in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. 
So before we approach this table, we need to take some time to examine our hearts here this morning. If you're here this morning physically and you said that prayer of repentance and salvation, you are welcome to participate and to come forward and eat of what's offered to you here at this table. And if you're a Christian here this morning and you know that there are things going on in your life that God is not happy with, this is your opportunity to have peace with God and to make your peace with God and to ask Him to forgive you. And again, that gives you the right and the privilege to approach this table. And the Bible says that it actually brings healing and forgiveness and encouragement and blessing upon your life. So let's take advantage of this time and this opportunity that God gives us by coming to this table. But let's prepare our hearts right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow our hearts before you right now, Lord, and we give you permission to examine our lives and our hearts right now. And Father, if there's anything going on that you, Lord God, are not pleased with, help us, Lord God, to repent of that. Help us to ask you to forgive us of that right now. So let's just take a few moments right now of silence to allow you to search your own heart and to come to terms with the Lord and prepare your hearts to come to this table. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this time that we have just to put ourselves in check to make sure that we're okay with you, Lord. Bless this time of communion now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.